Today's scripture reading is Colossians 4, 2-6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourself wisely toward out outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the living word of God for us today. Thank you, Paxton family. This is the living word of God for us today. Uh, it's great to see you, great to be with you today. Uh, we're in our Colossians series. In fact, we're wrapping up our Colossians series. Lloyd began that again last week. And believe it or not, we only have two messages left today and next week. And we're going to be finished with this study. So let me take us back. I want to recap where we've been in this marvelous letter that we've spent a, a, quite a bit of time in, going all the way back to in the fall. Uh, Paul preached the gospel to a man named Epaphras from this little town called Colossae. This would have been AD 40, AD 50, somewhere around that range. And then Epaphras went home to Colossae, told his friends, told his family about what he learned from Paul, about Jesus Christ and the gospel. And a church started. And a number of years later, a few years later, Epaphras went back to find Paul and say, I can't wait to tell you what happened when I went back home and shared the gospel with people. And, and as he told Paul, and at this time Paul was in prison, so Epaphras visits him, tells him all that God has done, and Paul is so encouraged by this church that he writes him a letter. And this is the letter that we've been studying, the letter to the Colossians, or the church in Colossae. And in this letter, what Paul has encouraged these uh, Colossians with is this idea that, that Jesus Christ himself is all they ever need. He, he is uh, the highest of highs. He's the, the widest of, of wits. Jesus is literally the center of everything. And uh, Lloyd and I have called that Paul's theory of everything, that Jesus is the center. And so therefore, if Jesus is the center of everything, then the path to human flourishing is to put him at the center of all of our things, the center of our families, the center of our, our dreams, our careers, our workplaces. Uh, putting Jesus where he belongs at the center of all things is the path to human flourishing. And that's the letter to Colossians. Now, we're in chapter four, and this week's text, as you just heard read, uh, takes us from verse two to verse six of chapter four. Paul's starting to wrap up all that he said. And it's one of those moments in this letter where he's asking, and what's the last thing I want them to remember? Like of all the things I've said, what do I want to stick with them the most? And he's gonna give in these few verses three simple things that he's gonna emphasize right here at the end of the book. And honestly, as I've studied this text of the last week or so, uh, I've been so encouraged because of how practical it is. These are three things in today's passage uh, that God wants to engage you in and, and engage through you to use you for every single day, these three things. So we're gonna talk about them one by one. We're gonna find the first in verse two. So let's look at Colossians 4 uh, here in verse two. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the big idea in the verse here is found in the verb, the, the verb clause, continue steadfastly in prayer. That's where the action is, uh, uh, grammatically of the sentence, but, but also in, in the sense of a very true way, prayer 
is where the action is. That's what Paul is essentially saying. Now, to continue steadfastly means to stick with something. It's don't give up. It's keep on keeping on. Be persistent. Maybe even be stubborn in a way. Be stubborn in your prayers. Be persistent in your prayers. This is what Paul is trying to say. And some, it's, uh, in some translations, uh, they translate this phrase, be devoted to prayer. Uh, I like that because it gives the idea for me of what am I devoted to? What, what's something that I'm so dedicated to? Uh, maybe for me, it's a hobby or it's a, um, a television show or a, a singer or a band that I really like. I will not miss the opportunity to engage with that artist. Um, I will not miss the opportunity with my family to do such and such. What are you devoted to? We were driving back recently from a trip that we had an opportunity to take, and um, we were trying to decide where to eat. And it had been, I don't know, probably eight or nine days since we'd had Chick-fil-A. And you would have thought, you know, there was nothing else in the whole world except Chick-fil-A. We were, my family is devoted to Chick-fil-A. We are not going to miss an opportunity to go very long. That's the idea that Paul is talking about. He says, is, is continue steadfastly in prayer. Be devoted to it. Don't miss opportunities to pray. Now, there's two modifiers after this verb clause, continue steadfastly in prayer. The first modifier is Paul's going to say, being watchful in it. Now, what does that mean? It, it simply means to stay awake. Like, don't fall asleep. Now, I think he's meaning that figuratively. Uh, it reminded me, though, of a literal instance where the disciples were, had an opportunity to be watchful in prayer with Jesus in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and they couldn't do it. They, they kept falling to sleep. And Jesus said, you know, couldn't you stay and watch with me for one hour? Uh, I think there's something about prayer that can lull us to sleep. And uh, not just the fact that we close our eyes. When we pray, uh, I think the thing about prayer that can lull us to sleep is the fact that we don't always get immediate answers to our prayers. In fact, we don't usually get immediate answers to our prayers. So you can pray about something and you hear nothing. You pray about it again. Sometimes you hear nothing. Uh, think about Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Son of God prayed for the exact same thing three different times. And Jesus is saying, stay awake, stay at it persevere. So Paul is coming after this idea in the same way, being watchful in it. Pay attention to it. Stay awake. Don't be lulled to sleep when uh, God doesn't answer your prayers right away like you want him to. And then the second uh, modifier here is with thanksgiving. I like this quote by Norman Geisler, uh, commentator uh, on this particular book. He wrote, being thankful should always accompany prayer for it places a believer in the proper attitude before God. Uh, I've thought about it this way. Gratitude is the natural expression of someone who has received everything they have when they're in the presence of the giver of those things. So every time we pray, we're coming into the presence of the giver of everything we have. And it should create in us this posture of gratitude. Uh, if you think back to our 21 days of prayer that we did recently at the very start of the, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, each of those days we ended with this little exercise in gratitude and, and we were called to think of one thing we were grateful for at that moment and thank God for that thing. What a great practice and it mirrors, it matches what Paul is calling us to in this, right, in this uh, text right here. So if I were to summarize this verse, summarize Paul's main point, what's the simple thing that he's calling them to? And I'll write it right here above the verse, 
Paul is calling them, and by extension us, to pray faithfully. Pray faithfully. Don't give up. Keep going at it. Uh, I want to tell you a story of answered prayer from a man who prayed faithfully. Uh, You may have heard of George Mueller. If not, George Mueller lived in England in the 1800s. He became a Christian as an adult, and he had a wild life before that. But after his conversion, his heart just began to be broken by some of the the troubles in the society that he was living in. And the one in particular that grabbed his heart were the homeless children. There were hundreds of homeless children running around ragged all over the city. And so he decided to open an orphanage. And in 1836, this orphanage opened and, and took in 26 children from the city. And George had no idea at that time how he was going to pay for this, how God would provide. He did it completely on faith. And he told the story later that uh, on one morning with no food in the house, he set out the plates and the bowls uh, and the cups on the table for breakfast with nothing in them for all 26 of these kids. And uh, they all bowed their heads and George started praying and he asked God to provide for them their daily bread. And I'm going to read to you what happened. This is from a devotional called On This Day by Robert Morgan when he tells this story. It says, a knock sounded at the door. It was the baker. Mr. Mueller, he said, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread. A second knock sounded. The milkman had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he wanted to give the children his milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. Such stories became the norm for Mueller's work. During the course of his 93 years, Mueller housed more than 10,000 orphans, prayed in millions of dollars, traveled to scores of countries preaching the gospel, and listen to this last part, recorded 50,000 answers to prayer. 50,000 answers to prayer. I want to encourage those of you who are praying faithfully and God has not yet answered your prayer. You're wrestling, you're struggling with prayer as you're continuing. Keep going. Don't be tempted to to drift off because you haven't seen God answer that prayer yet. You're doing exactly what God asks you to do, what the Spirit is asking you to do through this text. Keep on keeping on in your prayer. And I want to encourage those of us that are not praying faithfully. You're not struggling in prayer. You might think of it this way. You're struggling with prayer, not struggling in prayer. I want to encourage us. Prayer is where the action is. Let's get going. Uh, I think we're missing out on so much because we're not devoting ourselves to prayer. We're not praying faithfully. So that's the first thing that Paul wanted to emphasize as he's closing out his letter. Pray faithfully. Let's move on to the next one. And we'll find it in verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Verse four, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, don't miss what's going on here. Um, Paul is writing from prison. He's asking this young church to pray for him, but he's not saying pray that I get released from prison. He's saying something else. He's saying pray that a door might open that I might declare the mystery of Christ with clarity, that I might proclaim it clarity. In other words, Paul uh, was more interested in Christ, in Jesus and his agenda than he was about his own comfort. Uh, Paul recognized his imprisonment as a remarkable opportunity. 
Now, what's really cool about this is we know that God answered this prayer. And the reason we know that is because of two things. The first is back at the very end of Acts. I want to read to you the very last two verses of the book of Acts. Paul is in prison in Rome, which, by the way, might have been the same jail cell that he wrote Colossians from. We're not exactly sure which jail he wrote Colossians, but this is what it says. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, so he was under house arrest. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. There's the answer to Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter four. Um, By the way, the other way we know that God answered Paul's prayer is because we're reading this letter right now. I like the way one commentator put it. Paul's letters have kindled countless flames of Christian devotion from that day to this. So God answered this prayer as Paul asked these Colossians to pray faithfully. Let's move on to verse five. And here we're going to see this next point. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Uh, Again, I'm going to draw a bracket around the the main uh, action here, the main verb, walk in wisdom. And again, we're going to see two modifiers. So what does walk in wisdom mean? It means to live wisely. Wisdom, think about it this way. Um, Wisdom is learning to live life the way God intended life to be lived. The creator of all of life, he has a design, he has a path for life, the path that leads to flourishing. So walking in wisdom is this idea of living life well according to God's design. And the the first thing that's going to do is, is it's going to be quite a witness toward outsiders. So when Paul says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, he's recognizing that when we live the way that God intended us to live, there's something in us that that kind of comes alive, that we brighten up. Jesus used the words in the Sermon on the Mount that we should live as a light to others. In Matthew 6, 16, he says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as Christians, we're called to imitate Jesus Jesus is God's wisdom embodied. And as followers of Jesus live in such a way that begins to resemble Jesus Christ, resemble their master, people are drawn to Jesus. People are compelled by Christ. They, they always have been. They were when, when Jesus was walking the earth in his earthly ministry, and they still are today. People want to be around someone who's full of life. And so we are called as Christians to walk in wisdom, to embody the wisdom of God that was lived out through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this next little phrase is an interesting one, making the best use of the time. It literally means to buy up the time. So Paul is using a metaphor. Think about an investor who sees a great opportunity And that investor, if he's smart, if he's wise, is going to buy as much of that investment as he possibly can. He's going to get in as much as he possibly can with that investment. So Paul is saying in this phrase, seize every opportunity to engage with people outside of the faith. Let your life do the talking by the the way you work, by the way you lead your family, um, by the way you treat your spouse. Single adults, by the way, you you love your friends and the way that you form strong community together. Be a bright light Let your light shine before others. Another way to put it would be to walk purposefully. 
walk purposefully. So we already see these two things that we are called to here in Colossians chapter 4. The, the first one uh, is that we are to um, live in such a way that our, our light shines. The second one is that we are to walk purposefully. So we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Live with intention. I think that's what Paul is getting after too, getting after here. Remember that you're called and created to be a witness of Jesus Christ, uh, the kind of life that's only possible when we live as an overflow of the life of Jesus in us. Walk pur- purposefully. All right, there's one more thing that Paul wants us to see here and do in this text, and it's in verse six. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, it's interesting that Paul kind of progresses here from prayer to walking, or in other words, how we live, to this final one is to speaking. Think about how significant uh, your your speech is to your daily life. Think about how much of the world you engage around you through words. Think about how, how much you shape and influence other people. Are words the primary way that we do that? So Paul's third instruction here is all about our words. The, the main idea is, uh, is, is here, we're going to bracket it off. Let your speech always be. And then there's two things that our speech always needs to be. Every time we open our mouth, our speech, speech should be gracious. That's the first one. With every syllable you speak you have the opportunity to either tear down or build up. Uh, I was thinking about James. We studied James here at Fellowship not too long ago. In James chapter 3, verse 10, he reminds us that out of the same mouth can come both blessing and cursing. Uh, your words, think of it this way, are a little like power tools that have the opportunity to do some incredible constructive work or some incredible destructive work. And Paul is saying, use your words to build And what are you to build with your words? You're to build people. You're to build up people. Um, It's interesting, if if you've noticed this, there's almost a physical change that you can see in someone when when words encourage them and build them up and and they're told that they matter and that their work matters and that they've done a good job. You see them kind of, stand up a little straighter. Maybe, maybe it's, we use the expression that they've grown about two inches taller. You're literally building people up with encouraging words. Um, when I think of this phrase, let your speech always be gracious, I think about my dad. My dad is someone who uh, throughout his life has built people up with his words. My dad is an encourager. Uh, I remember all kinds of stories when I was growing up. Um, sometimes, honestly, we'd get a little embarrassed because uh, we, we'd, the, the handyman would come over to fix something or we'd be walking across the street. I remember this at our church. There was a crossing guard that would help. And every Sunday, my dad would look at that crossing guard and say, you're doing such a great job. Thank you for serving us. You know, me and my brother are like, Let's, can we just get to church, you know, without talking to every single person? But I've come to appreciate this. This is who my dad is. He's someone that lives out this verse. His speech is gracious. So that's the first thing. Our speech should always be gracious. Let's look at the second one. It should always be seasoned with salt. What an interesting metaphor. Um, Salt has been used on food for a very long time. In fact, long before Paul wrote these words, salt was being used on food uh, for several reasons. In fact, it's still so common today that that every single one of us has salt right now in our kitchens. Um, 
One of the things that salt does, the, the right amount of salt can bring out the flavor of a food, particularly a bland food. You might think of it that salt makes a meal worth eating sometimes. Uh, just like that, when your speech, when your conversation is seasoned with salt, there's something life-giving in it. There's something flavorful in it for the person uh, who's receiving these words. Uh, salt in your speech, in your language, encouraging words, gracious words, interesting things, questions that you ask people, looking them in the eye, caring enough to engage them. These are all ways that we can sprinkle our conversation with salt. And what that will do in the person that we're talking to is it will make them think, you know, there, there's something in this conversation that's life-giving to me. There's something flavorful. There's something that makes this meal worth eating, so to speak. But salt does something else too. It makes someone thirsty. So when you speak words of grace to someone, it makes them aware of their thirst. Uh, you're helping them in these conversations realize that they need something, that they're thirsty down in their soul. Your words are pointing them ultimately to the only true source of grace. The only, two place, the only true place where they're gonna find something that satisfies their thirst, their thirsty souls. So... Let your speech be gracious and let it be seasoned with salt. In other words, point people to Jesus Christ. Make them thirsty for what only he can satisfy. Here's how I would summarize Paul's third instruction. Speak graciously. Speak graciously. Now here's the thing. Gracious speech can only flow out of a life that has received grace. Show me someone who is satisfied in Jesus Christ and I will show you someone whose words will be a source of grace for other people. And so here's what this means. The only way that you'll begin to speak graciously or, or for that matter, pray faithfully or live purposefully is to lean into the grace of God for you. To, to remember that Jesus is the life source. And as you lean into your relationship with him more than any other relationship, you're gonna find yourself starting to overflow. And overflow with what? Praying, overflowing with thanksgiving, overflowing with, with purpose in your life, overflowing with grace in the way that you talk. And all of these overflows of the life of Jesus in you are going to uh, not be, not, they're not gonna go unused. They're not gonna return void because it is the life of Christ, the word of God himself embodied in you through his spirit that is flowing out. So I wanna put all this together as we kind of begin to kind of wrap up these verses we've looked at this morning. What's the big idea in this text? Well, three things that Paul wants us to know. Number one, pray faithfully. Number two, walk purposefully. And number three, speak graciously. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning as you think about the week ahead. So it's Sunday, Monday's coming. And some of you are back in an office. Some of you are still working from home. Others of you are in various different places all, all around the world, literally. I want to encourage you, wherever you find yourself on, on Monday morning, uh, I, I want to give you something to do with this in, this in mind. There will hardly be a moment of your day this is true every day, by the way hardly be a moment of your day that you cannot be doing one of these three things. 
You're going to either be praying, you're going to be um, walking. In other words, that's just how you live your life. You're either praying, you're living, or you're speaking. I mean, that's just true for all of us all of the time. And so I want to make this as practical as I possibly know how. And I want to give you something to do when you wake up in the morning uh, on Monday, tomorrow, and every day this week. Uh, before your feet hit the floor, I want to encourage you just to pray. And I want to give you a specific prayer that I want to encourage you to pray based on this text this morning. And, and here it is. It's this simple prayer. Father, help me today to pray faithfully, walk purposefully, and speak graciously. You're going to be around your friends, your family, your coworkers. Uh, you're going to be out and about maybe in a grocery store, walking the dog around the neighborhood. You need help to live life in a way that would reflect these three things. So wake up tomorrow morning and ask God for it. And, and as you see, that very act itself will begin a process of you living these three things out. If you do that tomorrow morning, you're, you're in step to be praying faithfully. And then after you pray that prayer, get up and, and walk. <laughs> Walk to the bathroom. That's usually the next place that we walk. And then after that, speak to your family. And then when you sit down and eat breakfast, pray again as you thank God for the food that he's put on your table. And keep walking and speaking and praying and do this throughout the day tomorrow. And then Tuesday morning, wake up and do the same thing before your feet hit the floor. Just pray this simple little prayer. Father, help me today to pray faithfully, to walk purposefully, to speak graciously. And then the next day, do it again. And, and I think by the end of this coming week, you will be amazed at how God will be answering this simple prayer. Okay, uh, I'm gonna wrap up this worship service that we've been enjoying here together this morning. And I wanna do it by praying for you. Before I do that though, I wanna invite you to think about all that we've done together in the last hour through this worship service. Even though we've been scattered about various places, we have a lot in common together as a church family. Here's what we've done. We've lifted our voices in worship. We've bowed our heads in prayer. We've celebrated together around the Lord's table. We've heard stories of God at work all around us. We've given our gifts and our offerings. And just now, over the last number of minutes, we've listened to the Spirit speak to us through the living Word of God that is for us today. And so before we finish out our time, I want to respond to God for all that He's enabled us to do this morning in this worship service. And we're going to pray together. So I know I'm not in the room with you and you're not here uh, at, at church yet. Looking forward to that coming before long. But wherever you are, I just want to encourage you to bow your head and pray together. Let's make this a corporate prayer as we're all gathered across various homes and places right now. So let's bow our heads and I want to pray for us, for you specifically as a part of this church. Father, thank you for a chance to hear from you and worship you this morning. And I just want to ask on, on behalf of the good news of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, the spirit that is in us, would you help us this week to continue continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Would you, Father, open a door for the word so that we all might declare the mystery of Christ and make it clear to those who need to hear it? And Father, would you help us to walk in wisdom, making the best use of our time? May our speech be gracious. May it be seasoned with salt so that others might know 
the, the, the truth of Christ, and may we answer them with wisdom and grace. And Father, finally, for all those who are watching this morning or watching later on in this recording, I pray, Father, that you would bless them and keep them. I pray you would make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. I pray that you would lift up your countenance on them and give them peace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Great being with you this morning. Have a terrific week.